Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to this week's episode of the Brass and Unity podcast. It's sponsored by Jackson Row. Vancouver Design Jackson Row clothing caters to relaxed bohemian lifestyle. Large doses of love go into every single piece, featuring comfortable favorites like sweaters, dresses, play suits, and even stuff for men and children. Made up of neutral tones and flowy West Coast vibes, Jackson Row ensures the highest quality of materials, ensuring that you stay comfortable and looking great. So go ahead and check them out at jacksonrow.ca and use the code UNITY to support the podcast. And brought to you by Heads Up Guys. Heads Up Guys is a resource providing men with information and practical tips on how to manage and prevent depression. This is a dedicated online tool devoted to helping men get the help that they need, find someone to talk to, and navigate difficult times. For more information, head over to headsupguys.org. And brought to you by Beneath. Men, you can't just perform at your best if you're constantly adjusting. I said it, adjusting, shifting, and sweating. If you want your Beneath area clean, dry, and ready for action, then you need Beneath underwear. Beneath were the first to create men's underwear with a three-dimensional pouch for supportive fit. This stuff is engineered for full days of comfort on the mountain, in the gym, or in the office. Head over to Beneath.com, that's B-N-3-T-H.com, and enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast and grab yourself, your man, the best underwear on the planet. And brought to you by Combat Flip-Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip-Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces. By providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women, enter the code UNITY at checkout to help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries. Head over to CombatFlipFlops.com and become part of their unarmed forces today. Hey, everyone. I had an incredible conversation today with a true American hero, Green Beret, Nate Boyer, as well as the long snapper for the Seahawks. He played in the NFL for, I think it was a season, if I'm not mistaken, and played for the Texas Longhorns for a few years as well. We had a very interesting conversation, literally from everything from MVP to the NFL all the way down to Rub and Tux. It was a weird conversation, and uh, I'm very proud of this one, so I hope you guys all enjoyed this episode. All right, everyone, welcome to uh, the podcast. This episode is with Nate Boyer. This guy is a serious badass, long snapper with the NFL, as well as a Green Beret in the U.S. military. Please welcome Nate Boyer, everyone. Nate, thank you so much for coming and taking this opportunity to uh, chat with us about, you know, basically your life. Um, you're a huge inspiration to so many people. I know you know that. You've been told that many, many a time. Um, for me, I found out about you through Tim K and what I found most fascinating about you was you couldn't just settle for one badass job. You had to move on to two to make everybody feel bad about themselves. Um, can I ask what the hell made you want to do the military thing? Uh, honestly, you know, the, the, the military wasn't really something I growing up that I thought about a lot. I, when I was in high school, it was a like a maybe thing. Cause I knew I didn't want to go to college, but uh, at least at that time, but it wasn't something I was serious about. And it wasn't until I was in my early twenties after nine 11 had happened. I went and did some relief work in the Darfur uh, region of Sudan. And it completely changed my life. I was at like a kind of a low point. I've had several low points in my life, but uh, this was one of them. And it was just like, I felt purposeless and I had no idea like who I wanted to even try to be. And what I was, what was my point of being here? Like, it was just one of those moments in my life. So I ended up doing some relief work uh, for a couple of months, just getting the hell out of America uh, and getting some perspective. And it, uh, it completely changed my life. I kind of gained my patriotism when I was in Africa, uh, just an appreciation for what I had, but also seeing how other people, how much other people appreciated what, uh, what we stood for. You know what I mean? So I came back to the States. I got malaria my last week there, actually. Oh, fantastic. And yeah, super fun. Um, and I was like, put up, this family put me up in this cot and took care of me. And they had uh, this little radio they put in the, next to the bed. And the only station that it got was, was uh, the BBC. And the Second Battle of Fallujah was going on at that time. So I was like listening to the play-by-play -play of the Second Battle of Fallujah in 2004 and just knew that I was going to come back and be in the military. So I came home, read about the special forces uh, and their motto being de oppresso libera, which means to free the oppressed. Uh, 
and it all just sort of hit me and made sense. It was like the signs pointing me in that direction. So I signed up with hopes of becoming a Green Beret and was fortunate enough to make it through the training and earn it. When you did the training um, for, for our listeners, because we've had, uh, we've had a few people on, we've had some Royal Marines on and we've got some seals booked, but you're my first actual Green Beret. And I've, uh, I've seen- Go ahead and unbook those seals. Go oh, ahead though. Okay, I'll do that real quick. I'll do it real quick. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, so back to the fact that you're a Green Beret and you're better than all of them. Um, when you, I'm it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to kid. I totally get it. I know the rivalries. I know how it works. I know the drill. Please. I, listen, it's a healthy rivalry. It's, healthy. It's, it's a very healthy rivalry. And I, the reason I think that is because if you guys didn't have that, you wouldn't have anybody to push yourselves to be better. You guys always want to be the top, the top of the top. And I feel like if there wasn't that kind of, you know, little bit of a, uh, Robin Tug here. Whoa, Robin Tug. <laughs> Whoa, Robin. I meant to say Robin. Um, Robin Shove. Edit that out. Fix that shit. I work with men. I work with men all the fucking time. They're Rub and Shove with each I other. Think you should leave that in. No, you should. Leave, you leave it in. That's oh, fine. Right. You know what? It wouldn't be my first time. And at least it's not live. And at least it's not on national Green television this time. Rubbing and chugging or rubbing and shoving? Or? Rubbing and shoving. You know, that whole kind of like uh, against each other. Listen, I when I worked with you guys. I don't. I'm not a SEAL, so I don't know. Oh, <laughs> that's saying it. That's saying it. And there was my opportunity to book anybody that was in the SEAL community. Um, no, but that, that's serious. That's, that you guys have that camaraderie, but you guys also have that, you know, healthy competition. And I think that's a big part of the military, at least in the male dominant uh, areas of the military. I worked only with men, so I only dealt with your bullshit on a regular basis. And I think that um, it makes it makes for better soldiers, in my opinion, and it allows for them to have a, more of an open-minded um, mentality. You can be rougher with each other. You guys can be honest with each other. You can beat the shit out of each other, but then you can turn around and support each other and walk on each other's back at all times. Um, what I'm really kind of curious about is when people say they want to join the military, they don't often go, I'm going to be in the SF. That's not like, <laughs> I mean, you're a smaller dude and that's like, there's nothing wrong. You're not. Okay. How tall are you? I've 10 and change. Okay. And change. Say 5'11". You can say 5'11". Cool. Are you, do you have to roll your back out first before you hit that 11 or is that? Cause <laughs> yeah. I say five. I crack my ankles. See, I I say five foot, but it's like a 4'11 situation on a good day. So we, you can pretend to be tall. I'll give you that today. But out of most of the guys I've worked with, I mean, you're, you're definitely one of the smaller ones, and that's not a bad thing, but that shows the strength that you're able to put into um, this job. And like I said, when people say they want to join the military, they're not aiming for the SF. I mean, what made you think that you could you could join and, and make it that far, like, that confidently? I mean, I wasn't super confident, to be honest. I just I knew what I wanted in that moment, and I just went for it. And it's like, for me – if I didn't make it, it's not like, I mean, I'm still in the military and I'm still I'm probably going to be, you know, in an airborne infantry unit and get to do some great things. So I didn't really see that as a failure. Um, oh, no, so no, for sure. Definitely, you know, I definitely wasn't going to quit. I, I don't really know, you know, where that mentality fully came from. I think it's part of the way that I was raised and um, playing sports, I think. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of it was that trip to the Darfur, to be honest, because I just sort of made it happen. I didn't go with an organization. I just like flew myself over there oh, and wow. got there. And so in a sense, it was kind of like a special forces mission. I mean, it wasn't a combat mission or anything, but um, there's a big element to that, you know, when you're in the special operations of like being self-sufficient, figuring it out on your own, thinking outside the box, talking your way into things, you know what I mean? Um, talking your way out of things. I was just going to say. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it is a big part of it. Like you have to be able to negotiate uh, the world in a sense. And it's not just following orders and, and kind of the traditional um, military experience. I think that some people expect, especially civilians, you know, they have this idea that we're all robots and, you know, we just follow orders and we march around and like eat super fast and wake up at five, even when we're out of the military and like all those things that like, I don't do. No, no one and, does uh, that. You know, and, and, but I think that that goes hand in hand with uh, a lot of people in the special operations, but just, I mean, the military in general, but yeah, I just thought, you know, worst case scenario, like I'm still going to be in a badass unit with some people that want to serve their country and do some great things. And so if I 
if I fail or, or, or lose or whatever you want to call it, yeah. it won't really be a failure. At least I went for it. At least I tried. Do you think that if you didn't make it the first time, you would have went around again? Probably. If I would have the opportunity, probably. Uh, I don't know, though. You never know. I mean, maybe I would have went to that unit and been totally happy with where I was at and mm -hmm. you know, wouldn't have felt the desire to. I don't, I don't, I don't really know. It's hard to say. Fair enough. I mean, that's a, it's always like the dream, I guess, for the military. I mean, for me personally, when I got in, I, the, the first thought I wanted is I did not want to be a, a regular soldier at all. I wanted the ops completely. And then I found out really, really quickly that I'm way too short. And also I have a vagina. So that's a downfall. Um, I did too, actually. I knew it. I knew it. Tim told me. I knew it. I believed it from the second he told me to. For some reason, your face just screams vagina. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's right. I'm not going to comment. Don't, you should comment. I'm going to get you back <laughs> yeah. on that one. Um, no, I, I, hey, I, I heard all about things I can you ask about. Well, you could have been a pilot. Pilots are short, right? No, you can't. No, I'm not tall enough. What? My can pedals? No. <laughs> I don't know how it works. I don't fly. So. Mm -hmm. No, you got to be like a solid, I think it's like 5'7 five, or 5'5. Five, five. So I was five. Really? Yeah, well, when I went in, they because they do that whole intelligence test, and they're like, if you're smart enough to be a pilot. That was the problem. Oh, was it? You think that's what it was? <laughs> All right, mm -hmm. no, I don't know, darling. You and I, we're going to have to go around or two. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm telling you. That's all right. I'll get you. Don't you worry. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> You'll see. Um, when you when you were serving over there, uh, being it seems like you you know you've got a stronger mentality than most. Most of the guys that make in the SF have a stronger mentality than most, and that's very evident in passing buds and doing all the training. And same with the Royal Marines, the eight months. How did you find that uh, it really affected your mental health, or was that ever a thing for you? Mental health always has been a thing for me. I think it's a thing for everybody on some level. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody's on that spectrum somewhere. Um, I think sometimes when you have bouts with that and, uh, even with self-worth and whatnot, I think you push harder. I think a lot of people push harder because of that, because they, they want to matter. They want to belong to something and make a difference. And I think maybe if you didn't have an element of, uh, of instability in your mental health, <laughs> maybe you wouldn't be the right kind of person for the job anyway. Fair um, because you're sort of secure and, and, and kind of safe in your environment and just feel like, eh, you know, everything's good. Like, what's the big deal? Life's great. Like, I don't need to go prove anything to anybody uh, or be a part of something bigger. I've, I've got what I need right here. And I never felt that way. And I think a lot of people that join the, just the military in general, a lot of us are like, let's be honest, we run to the military. <laughs> a lot of us, you know, we're not all like super patriotic heroes. Um, many of us, I think, become that. Mm -hmm. uh, but for a lot of people, the reason they join is like they're searching for something or they're looking for something. And it's, it, it is self-serving in, in a lot of ways. Um, even though selfless service is something that every person in the military becomes a part of, uh, that's just my opinion. I mean, I could be totally off base, but I think that for me, that was a big, it was a big part of it. No, I don't disagree at all. No, I think you have to have, like you said, you got to have that kind of grit. You got to have that want to push to get through and, and that, that camaraderie, that being a part of something. I know that was something for me. I didn't realize it was that for me until I was out. That's what I was wanting. I was, how old were you when you joined? I was 20. I just turned 24, actually. So I was older. You were a little bit older. Basic training, I was one of the old guys. Oh, my God. You would have been the old guy, too. Huh? Oh, you would have been the old guy. God, that's embarrassing. We, had, we actually had a 28-year-old in my basic, so I got saved. Oh, okay. I was um, just going to say, you got your ass handed to on a regular basis if you shit the bed stuff. <laughs> I think I was like about, we had 45 guys in my platoon in basic. I think I was like the fifth oldest. Okay. There was a few, but it was almost all 18 x-rays, which is people that had the special forces contract. So like, I think all but five of us in my platoon had that contract. So it was a lot of people in their 20s. It was, it was mostly people in their 20s. It wasn't all like 18, 19-year-old kids, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, because I joined when I was 18. I was a kid. When I was there, I was 19. It was, I was a baby. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, um, like most of them. That, but I guess that's kind of the way, I feel like that's the way the U.S. works, though. There's this stigma, like you see these people, recruiters standing outside Walmarts and fucking high schools going in and being like, we want you. And it's this, how can you not run directly towards it when they're offering you something, when you're, you're lost or you're, for lack of a better word, you don't really know what you want to do. Do you think that your parents had an impact in, on how you were in that, that kind of grit aspect? Because when I did a little bit of research on you, which it's my history right now is terrifying. If you look on my laptop, <laughs> it's just, 
stalker level shit going on trying to figure out who you are. Well, no, there's not a lot about you out there. And I think a lot of people want to know more about you, but you're kind of a guy that keeps to himself for the most part. But you were raised in the city. If, am I wrong on that? Yeah, I was raised in the Bay Area, Francisco Bay Area. Yep. Okay, so you so you weren't really exposed to like you said like football and all those kind of major sports. What sports did you play? You said you played some sports before. Yeah, I played uh, pretty much everything except football. I mean, I played basketball, baseball, soccer. I, I even ski raced for a little bit when I was younger. My dad was on ski patrol uh, when we lived in Col- we lived in Colorado for a little while. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I played I played a lot of a lot of team sports and and loved it. I just didn't play football. Um, I didn't play when I was super young. I'm actually home for the holidays here, so my mom's in the other room, so she can hear me. Oh, hi, mom! Sorry, her. but uh, she uh, and she denies this, but she 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 didn't she didn't want me to play football when I was younger. Uh, so and then when I was I, then when I could have I could have played though, like in middle school, for instance, if I just said even then, if I just said I really want to play, mm-hmm. but I didn't. And I remember being like in middle school and thinking, well, these kids have been playing since they were eight years old. Like I'll never catch up to them. They're, you know, it's just insecurity and, and whatever self-esteem that every 13 year old goes through. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to ride the bench and like be a loser. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. want to get cut from the team. So I didn't do it. And it bothered me because football is my favorite sport. So then even through high school, um, I, you know, I didn't play freshman, sophomore year and like thought about it and then just didn't. And then I switched to a different high school, my junior, senior year, and they didn't even have a football team. So it just never happened. And it bothered me. So like I was, you know, 29 years old uh, before the first time I ever played. And it was like, it was like, honestly, it was like sowing a, a childhood oat that just like. Uh, the dream. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it's, it, I mean, maybe it's juvenile, but it's still, no, no, no. it still bothered me that I didn't do that. And so I was like, well, I'll just try out. And if I don't make it, I don't make it, but I got to try See, no, that that in itself just tells the type of person you are and the way that you were raised. And that's why I think, Mom, you did a good job. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, I personally don't want my son to play football. I'm worried about CTE. I've had my head knocked around a few times, well, more than a few times. And I don't know that I should hit it anymore because of long-term damage. And I, I'm curious about that and, and how that um, affects you now because you went from being um, a Green Beret and did you ever have any, and I mean, you don't have to answer this. This is just me asking. Um, did you ever have any situations where you got your bell rung enough from blast or anything that you had concussive issues from? You know what? Like, I think I did and I didn't know it. Oh, okay. It makes <laughs> sense. Time. Yeah. Um, but not, 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 not like crazy bad. I mean, I, I did, I like, I had a few things happen. I fell through a, I fell through a roof one time and fell off a wall one time and a couple IEDs like you know, pretty close, but like, um, but I don't know, like I never, it wasn't, I always minimize everything. I think a lot of us do it uh-huh. because I was just like, well, I'm not like bleeding out of my ears right now or something, or I'm not, um, throwing up. So I must be fine or whatever it is. And that's just in a concussion situation, you know, mm-hmm. or anything else. Like we always, the whole suck it up and drive on and bang. And, you know, it's, it, it's important in a lot of ways because, when you are over there and like you still have a mission to do for several months after this situation occurs, like you need to be healthy. You need to keep going. You don't want to let your teammates down. You want to be with them. You know, you don't want to be the guy that's stuck in the rear while, while stuff's happening or like sent home. So you don't really talk about it or you don't really, and that could be mental health stuff too. Um, you don't really talk about it or, or, or even deal with it. And then you get back home and like you do the, you know, the, the standard, um, you know, obligatory uh, mental health checks and like going to the dentist and the doctor when you're back, like, do you have any issues? And you're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Because they don't, you don't want them to take you out of the fight. And then, you know, years later, you're like, oh man, I probably should have, you know. Taking that off a little bit. But like, you can't blame people that don't. I mean, I don't blame myself. I would probably do the same thing because there is that fear that they're going to pull you from the team, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's like, you know, he's having, uh, he's having a post-traumatic stress symptoms or whatever it is. Um, we better, you know, we better, he better take a break. Let's bench him for a minute. Yeah. No one wants to be that guy. Cause you also, first of all, you don't want to admit that you're, that everything's not perfect, but also like, yeah, you just don't want to get pulled from the team. I mean, that's the, that's the biggest part of it for me is like, I just want to, I want to keep going. So, uh, I'm just going to lie. That's what I did. And then they found out real quick when, 
<laughs> yeah. And I actually almost shot someone. They're like, Ooh, she's done. That's cute. She's done. Yeah. No, I did the same thing when I was with the Brits. They, we do the whole, I went out with the black watch and I came back and they did the whole, we did the whole gamut of how are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. And no, I'm great. Lie, 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 lie. And then all of a sudden, and, you know, when it's too late and you can't, you don't know what's going on or where you are or what you're doing, they realize really quick you get benched. So you're talking about that guy. I'm that guy. I was that guy. It feels horrible to be that guy. So yeah, I would have lied too. I, I should have lied better, but I didn't. So here we are. Now I'm talking to you about weird rub situations. Your mom <laughs> in the other room. So what can I say? I don't regret it. I'm in a good place right now. Um, I got to miss that part. I oh, it's so. okay. It's okay. She'll listen to it back when I become no, friends no. with her. No. Oh, no? Nope. You don't know me yet, Nate. I am a determined individual, my dear. So I watched a clip of you chucking a football between your legs for like hours on end. Why long snapper? What made you want that position? Like out of all the football positions you could have picked, why that one? Well, I didn't want that position. It's just the only one I was talented enough to, to win the starting job at. Fair enough, you know, but I saw lack you. Of options. Yeah, but you were, <laughs> you were what I what, from what I saw. You were practicing for that position specifically. So, did you make up your mind in that early on? Like, and you were like, "I'm going to try to go that direction for the NFL with that like position." Well, I, when I tried out for the team, I walked on to University of Texas as a safety. Oh, um, okay. So I was hoping to play safety or like slot receiver or something, but I'm way too slow and just basically way too slow. That's the main thing. Um, you know, you, you gotta be, those guys are such good athletes. You gotta be fast. And, and I just wasn't I'm tall and I worked at it. I got faster, but you know, it took about a year to realize like, this is not going to happen, man. So quickly I adjusted and identified, uh, an opportunity. I'm like, how can I get on the field and play meaningful snaps? Um, without, you know, well, not without anything. Just how, what? What is? What is it? What is an? Uh, what's an opening, uh, or or another something else I can try to do? Uh, I want to be a part of this. I feel like having a voice in the locker room. You need to be playing on the field to do that. And coaches always wanted me to like be a leader and all that. And I was like, yeah, I get you, but <laughs> here's I'm, the thing. I'm like, yeah, I'm like <laughs> tackling down their practice. Like that's not. I shouldn't be the leader. So I noticed that the starting long snapper. Uh, was a senior and so was the backup long snapper. So I started long snapping when I was, I guess I was th about 30 uh, when I started long snapping. And I didn't even know what a long snapper was when I tried out for the team, but uh, you know, and it's a thankless job that nobody wants to do because you could do it right 500 times in a row and nobody cares and you screw up once and you're the bad guy. So I, uh, I was like, that's a perfect job for me. <laughs> <laughs> handle so, yeah, exactly. So I started practicing and, you know, I was still in the, I was in the Texas National Guard at the time. So they would deploy me in the summer. I would go overseas for a few months in the summer. For vacation. And I went overseas that year and just brought a couple footballs. Any free time I had, I would practice long snapping. I built a little target out of plywood. And then uh, I came back after that uh, rotation and won the starting job and then started for three years at Texas as a long snapper and then had the opportunity with the Seahawks after that. That's so insane. My God, I've been in, I've stepped in one of those stadiums. I've never been to an NFL game. I'm Canadian. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't, I don't know football super well. Um, I'm more. They have it in Canada, I've heard. Yeah, it's like CFL or something, right? Well, that's exactly what it is. CFL, yeah, it's Canadian. Yeah, but let's be honest Canadian sports versus American sports. Are we really going to have this conversation about the difference? Like, really? Sure. Okay, let's talk about it then. Have you been to one of our stadiums? No. Exactly. I win already. I don't even need to go further than that. It's interesting. Like, um, my husband was a professional athlete, and uh, I used to go to the stadium. You had to play hockey, right? No, I mean, fuck no. I'm not, I'm not a puck bunny. Do I look <laughs> like I hang around the cold ice very much? Please. No. I'm too tan for that shit. I am uh, I'm a motocross person. I'm a supercross. He was, okay. a, he was a supercross racer. Okay. Yeah, so we I used to go down to the States and go to those stadiums and stand on that track and look up and, and see, holy hell, the amount of people that are going to be watching you. As somebody who's never really done you know, the whole football thing from a young age all the way up, and then you're stepping on the field with these guys who have been working their entire lives, I mean, that must have been intense for you. Or did you find it comforting, almost like being back in the military again? The locker room was definitely very similar to like a military locker room. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that camaraderie, the brotherhood, like training hard together, you know, 
honestly, like the blood, sweat and tears, they all talk about it's, that's all the same. Like you get really close with people through that. Obviously I've never compare, you know, uh, a gunfight to a game. Um, the, 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 the battlefields are very different, but, uh, uh, but the, the, yeah, the friendships and the, um, sort of the structure and work ethic that it takes, the sacrifice that it takes to be elite is very similar. And, and that's uh, that's a pretty cool thing. So that, that was a nice way for me to transition out of the military without even knowing it. Um, I found out much later in life, I realized later in life that without football, uh, my transition would have been, I think a lot tougher, but I had that thing to run right into. Mm -hmm. Granted, it is very different playing, you know, a stadium with a hundred thousand people. Um, and it's like, you don't want to let your guys down. Uh, but, it, but it's similar in the sense of like, I don't want to let my guys down on the battlefield. Like if I do something stupid or I'm not, you know, I'm being complacent or not caring about every little detail, uh, something bad's going to happen. So it's a game, it's a football game, but still like people care about it. It matters. Um, and it's a big part of our, uh, you know, American fabric, I guess. So, uh, and it's a, it's an escape. I was escape an escape for me when I was deployed. Like I'd love to watch football. Uh, if I was overseas during the season, that was like one of my things to kind of get away from no one else on my team really cared about football and, and oh, special okay. forces. So I would like go by myself and like go to the man cave and watch a game at like 5am. Um, because you know, we're nine hours ahead or whatever. And I was like, that was my, you know, that was my happy place. And, uh, and so that was cool to be able to come back and be a part of that uh, as well. But um, yeah, there, it, it's very different in a lot of ways. Uh, of course. Playing, playing in that game and that, yeah, and that, and that in an arena like that. Mm -hmm. But I think the time in the military helped me settle into those situations. That's what I was going to say. I mean, I feel like if you didn't really have that, um, that opportunity in the military and have that, those well, those types of situations where you're, you know, you're being shot at, and you know, you become complacent, and things happen. Bad things can happen, and, and really having that, I feel like the military set you up beautifully for you know a professional sport and becoming a professional athlete and always being in the public eye. And you really, really wanted to be, or not wanted to be in the public eye with that whole Colin situation. I'm sure that was a tricky pickle for you to kind of work around because that I don't know much about it. I tried to stay out of it. I get really offended easily on certain certain topics. Let me correct that. Not a lot of topics, but certain topics. And I try to keep my face out of it if I don't have anything positive to say. Um, how was that for you being in that situation, being kind of the military guy? I mean, it was, it was definitely challenging. Um, I try to take that part out of it and, and just treat it like a human being. Um, and I, you know, I said from the beginning and people still don't hear that part of it, but I always have said, like, I don't speak for anybody mm -hmm. in the veteran community or the military. I don't speak for anybody but myself, but you know, people still assume that I'm like doing that. And, and, and to their point, I think media sometimes spins it that way. Like, Oh, look, this guy says that, uh, um, you know, what Colin Kaepernick is doing is a first amendment, right. You know, and whatever. So he must support him. And that means all the military supports Colin Kaepernick or something like that. Yeah. Like, that's not, it's not, I'm not even, I'm not even, I never even have said that like I'm, I'm in support of the reason for the protest or anything like that. You know, no, I noticed I'm all that. about rights and freedoms. And like when we took the oath to join the military, it's to defend the constitution. And guess what? The first amendment is freedom of speech, freedom of expression. So like, you don't have to like it, but you fought for it. Yeah. And you better understand that. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That's a tricky one though, for a lot of people, especially like you for said, sure. in the military, when you talk to, I talked to a few of the guys about it. Um, you know, when I, uh, when all that kind of happened, I said, what's your stance on this? And, and it was really convoluted because everybody had a different answer. And that's how, you know, right then and there that obviously common sense, you obviously aren't speaking for the military. You're one human being. You can only have one mind and you have one opinion and, and that's yours and it's nobody else's. And for them to kind of paint you with that brush as it being you're the, you know, you're the end all be all of what the military thinks. I mean, my God, if you were the end all be all of what the military thought, I feel, I feel like we would have a situation on our hands because. Yeah, we'd be in trouble. Yeah, I feel like we'd be in a lot of trouble. I mean, we're, we're the military community is the most diverse microcosm in America, I think. Oh, it is. We're, we're, we're such a mix. And, but we put all that crap aside for the most part and are able to work together uh, to get things done. And then, so that's a great lesson 
for the rest of the country. You know, if you just look at it from through that lens and not like, oh, like we talked about earlier, they all they all wear the same uniform. They almost, they almost think the same, you know, and they just follow orders blindly. And they're uh, people are um, forcing thought into their brains and and making them, you know, make them think uh, this way and march this way. Yeah, and it's like it's not really like that. Like there's there's of course an element like that to that when you're talking about um, training and you're yeah, talking about uh, safety uh, and weaponry. And yeah, yeah, yeah. There is for sure an element of that, but. If you're around it long enough, uh, and not just in the special operations units, in any unit, it's not it's not like that. Like people are very people are varied. I'll just say that. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I like I said, I spoke, I talked to Griff from uh, Combat Flip Flops, and we had a, a very different conversation. Than I thought we were going to have. We were, you know, he he freaking made me cry, and I don't want to talk about it. But you know, he had a different view than um, a lot of different SF guys I've chatted with, or just a lot of different regular soldiers that I've chatted with. Everybody's uh, view varies based on your experience, and nobody can be expected to have an opinion, you know, about anything else if you're not involved in it. And so I'm, I, I want to say I was like, not that my opinion matters, but I was impressed with how you handled it. Um, I think that come, you know, that the way you handled it show that you have your head on straight and that you think for yourself and that you aren't a person that is just, you know, does what they're told and, and kind of marches forward in any direction that they're told. And um, I think that's a great thing. And I think that's why when you joined the NFL, you know, your, your team wanted you to be a leader because you have that backing, you have that experience and you know how to conduct yourself in a situation that most of those kids going into the NFL might not have, you know, have the experience in. Um, did you have any issues once you got out of the NFL in terms of um, any hits you took or did that affect your mental health as you transitioned away from more of a team aspect? Um, I don't know. I, I, honestly, I don't really know. Not, not necessarily from any hits I took or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think missing, uh, I think missing that, missing the team, you know what I mean? Missing being a part of something, the mission. Uh, yeah, that could be tough, but, once again, I was fortunate to be able to transition into something, which was this, which is uh, MVP. So I was going to uh, ask you about that. Merging vets and players, yeah. So we bring together combat vets and former professional athletes and help them find purpose, identity, service, uh, that new team again when the uniform comes off. You know, we, we, we're often in our 20s and 30s, um, and it's like you've, you feel like you've peaked and you'll never be great again. And like, you know, you, you identify so much with that uniform and now it's gone. And you're trying to like fit in or figure it out. And the reality is like, you're never going to fully fit in. Like you're different. <laughs> Just embrace that. It's a good thing. Yeah. And, uh, and then utilize all the, you know, all that you overcame and all that you survived um, to, to be a better person moving forward with the rest of your life and to do great things off the field. Um, and it's like not easy. I mean, it's not like you just make that decision. It's like, oh, great. I'm just going to be this person now. Like I'm, I'm growing and struggling and, you know, making mistakes every day. And I still have so many regrets that I'm trying to just like let go of and be at peace with. But, you know, that's just life. I mean, we're human beings, like plain and simple. We're, we're, we're all like a total freaking wreck. And, uh, uh, but we, we also get to experience you know, joy and we should appreciate ourselves and we should be proud of the stuff that we did. And uh, we should accept um, that we are good, good people and that we just, we're deserving of certain things. And, uh, and then we should spend a lot of our time um, in my opinion, uh, in service to others, like continuing to serve. You became a person of service. Like that's who you are. Same with athletes. Like you have that platform, you know, you're a role model to a lot of people. So like live that way, you know, and those that didn't, get the opportunity you had or those from the military standpoint that didn't make it back. The best way to honor them is the way that you live your life, you know, and what you do uh, to maybe live out their dreams. Uh, if they didn't get a chance to do that, you know, and to be a good, uh, be a good fan, you know, be a good uh, citizen and be a good father and, and, and sister and whatever it is. Um, you know, and I'm still working on that right now. I got, I got a long way to go, but you know, that's that's uh, that's what it's all about. That's what MVP is all about. Yeah, MVP. I, I heard of it from uh, from one of our ambassadors uh, a couple of years ago. Well, maybe a year ago now. Kirstie Ennis. Yeah. So she um, right around the time she got the uh, Tillman Award, she was on board. She was on board with us as an ambassador and whatnot. And so I learned a little bit about your programs and what you guys kind of do and and how you help within that and how you really help the community. And I think 
I think there's so much more needed in, in that aspect. And I know you know that. I mean, the way people transition out or how they're kind of left out in the cold and people fall through the cracks. And it's, you know, we're kind of left with this mental health mess. And it really comes down to a lot of it is, is finding a community again and finding a team again and finding these people that you can lean on and feel like you can, you know, be honest and open like yourself again. Because like you said, we're not, I mean, I'm not saying I'm anything like you because you're, you're like, you're fine. No, no, no. You're, well, maybe you're, you're not. You're probably better than me. Oh, please. I, mm. um, once again, the shit you don't know. No, uh, you're, you're what I aspire to be in the military. And I think what a lot of people aspire to be when they, when they, see military is that's the top of the top you're the elite of the elite i mean to be able to do the training let alone deploy successfully come back in one piece and be able to then transition into another career that kids dream of i mean you got you got like a big bang for your buck here when it became uh, an adult here you really went for it and uh, i think that just shows to you know kids and the younger people that are struggling with mental health especially right now i don't know if you've noticed it the influx of um, military members having a harder time right now with COVID and being maybe shut out or kind of not able to go to the their group meetings or, you know, hang out with their buddies. I don't know if you've noticed any sort of increase or anything yeah. like that. For sure. I mean, and we've been fortunate enough and, and to speak on Kersey real quick, you know, I mean, she has an incredible story about obviously resilience and um, she exemplifies what we're all about at MVP, you know what I mean? And just like, and, and she's still, you know, she'll be the first to admit she still struggles with stuff. It's like, not like she's just got it all figured out and it's like easy. Like we all do. It's, it's a, it's a constant battle, you know, work in progress. It's just like being aware of it and uh, uh, continuing to improve your fighting position, like do what you can to um, pull yourself out of that uh, every day and, and, and let others help you, let others pull you out as well. But I mean, even with like MVP, like thank God in this time we have, stuff like this, like Zoom, right? you know, we were able to continue to stay connected. And right away, we transitioned to that platform and did that. And, and now it's like, we're getting to another place where that's starting to feel a little bit stale in some ways, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. there's like, people are just really craving connection and human contact. Um, and so we're trying to figure out the safest way to get back in the gym and get back uh, in the community and, you know, and, and get back out there and, and, and do what we were doing before. Um, but you have like you have to be so creative with it and and smart and innovative and safe because it's like uh, you know it's a real thing that's happening here and you know yeah. you gotta be you gotta be careful and you gotta like look out for one another and it's tough it's a tough time I can't I can't wait for us to move out of this I think everybody's kind of in that mindset right now but you know you just have to continue to be patient while not being patient yeah, fair <laughs> working towards fixing it it's kind of like that mentality in the military it's like hurry up and wait it's like we're you know we get this over no we're two more weeks it's two more weeks and then we're gonna be able to go again i want to um i just want to know what can you know our listeners and what can you know upping you know i know we're canadian but we work with the u.s a lot we donate a massive chunk of our money down to you guys um on a regular basis and, and we sell our product in the states and whenever we sell it it goes to the u.s soldiers so how can how can we help mvp how can brass and unity how can the canadian side of you know up here in north america how can we help you guys to you know spread your message or do things for vets that you know we don't how can we help you yeah i mean well first of all the, the organization if you want to check it out uh, MVP stands for Merging Vets and Players. Vetsandplayers.org is the website. Okay. Um, and we're on, you know, all the social medias and whatnot as well. Uh, but, you know, what we're doing is like we have right now we have five chapters across the country. We've got one in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Chicago, Atlanta, and New York. Um, Dallas is on the horizon. Seattle's on the horizon and a few other places. So uh, I think um, from a, you know, community level, like if you were in one of those places, um, you know, learning about what we're doing and, and potentially if you're with an, a, a company that wants to support in some way or you know you know a combat vet or a former professional athlete that could utilize some of our services and programs like spread the word um but yeah i mean i think eventually we want to be globally anyway we want to be i mean there's 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 professional athletes and and war fighters all over the world mm -hmm. you know that that could use things like this i mean i've had conversations with people in the canadian military from the uk um from you know australia and and, and several places and like they love what we're doing and there's 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 similar ideas like that out there i mean i think it took a long time for people to want to ever compare 
what somebody did in the military to anything else, but we need to, because otherwise there's never going to be a bridge between this, you know, the, the civilian community and the military community, a veteran community. It's just going to be um, this divide, you know, this gap. And if, if we, you know, if, if we can't um, help each other understand like what our experience is like so that they can relate to it, no one's going to be able to really help. They're just going to say, thank you for your service all day long and feel like, man, I, I, I could never do something like that. You know, and I'm not like that. I can never relate to them. I never understand what they're, they're going through. So I'm not even going to try. And they'll just throw money at a problem or something. And mm -hmm. It doesn't really fix it. Like we need to be included. We need to be like wrapped into yes. um, the community and, 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 you know, society and like understand that these are, we're just, just like you, we just made a choice to do this. We volunteered to do this for a period of time. Um, and when we come out, like we're still a lot, a lot of us are often very lost and like, we missed out on a lot of stuff. And so we need some mentorship maybe. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, just kind of take us under your wing and hear our story um, and then be a part of our story moving forward and helping us, uh, you know, transition into the next phase in life. Oh my God, whenever you guys are ready to bring one up to Vancouver, I can help you out with that. I think I, I think I can- Vancouver's assume. a cool place. I have been to Vancouver. Have you? When was the last I, time you were here? Oh my gosh, it was a long time ago, probably. 17 years oh wow so it's been a minute you haven't seen the boom that well, we have that's, that's years so much more than a minute oh okay here we go oh i see how this is gonna go that's okay when you come up i am oh, i love violence you don't know that but i love violence so yeah we'll deal with you when you come up to canada to set that up though but you, you see you see now you're probably gonna bitch out and send somebody else up to send it up in canada he's gonna be like i can't go to vancouver Kelsey's up there. Somebody else is going to have to go set up MVP up there because I can't. I just can't go up there. No, I'm telling you, Nick, whenever you get, whenever you get a chance, whenever you're allowed to cross this border or whenever we're allowed to cross the border, actually, that's not true. We have border jumpers on a regular basis. So I feel like you're kind of... I feel like it's not really patrolled in Canada. Oh, my God, it's not. Ask him. I sent him a video. There was a guy that just... We have a ditch. And he... Huh right over the ditch and like the cops are like what are you doing and he's like oh i was uh i live here and they show their id and they can just like you can walk across right now in this most ridiculous way because of covid i don't i don't understand it it doesn't make any sense to me but whenever you're ready to set it up just know that you've got immense support up here and that if there's anything that we can possibly do to help you guys spread your message and with our brand and with what we're doing and anything i mean i've always i've always wanted to be a more more part of the U.S. because I served with the U.S. quite heavily, and I served with them and the British more than I served with my own country. So, if there's anything we can do to help spread your message and get it going up here, and, and really just do the work, you let us know because we would be nothing but honored to have you. All jokes aside, I'm like beyond grateful to have this opportunity to have chatted with you, Nate. I've heard nothing but incredible things about you. Um, your willingness to open up about your mental health and just be honest that everybody's, you know, we're not all put together and that's totally okay. Um, yeah. Sometimes crazier the better, but you know, we have to, uh, we have to move forward. We have to put one foot in front of the other and, you know, showing that you can do that outside of service, showing that you can do that outside of a successful uh, NFL career and continue to give and give and give. And that seems like that's all that you do is you just give and, um, I don't. I take a lot too. Don't worry. Oh well, I haven't seen any taking yet. So until I do, I'm getting. This is my mindset. You're just this this angel that gives. I guess that's. I don't know. You're the giver. Um, no, but seriously, Nate, it's um, it's been a pleasure. I I know you have to go, so I will let you go. But um, do you have anything else you want to uh, let out to the world that they need to know about besides MVP? Um. Well, speaking of MVP, we just uh, we just wrapped on the movie. I directed my first movie. Uh, we finished a month ago, so Congratulations. yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. It was it was amazing. We actually got somehow got Sylvester Stallone to be an executive producer on it. Shut so, the f yeah. So like like uh, it's cool. Like like Randy Couture and Michael Strahan and Howie Long and like all these legends, Tom Arnold. They're all in it, you know, and uh, and a ton of other. Great actors as well. And wow! Most uh, about half the cast and crew was veterans, uh, which was awesome. Everybody in the movie that's playing a veteran is played by an actual veteran. Oh, thank uh, God! Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I can't. I don't know if I can not. Uh, I can watch another film where I just get angry because I'm like, you're holding it wrong. They wouldn't do that. Yeah. Why are you? Well, doing it wasn't like 
it was all it was it, the whole movie set in Hollywood. Actually. Okay. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's about a homeless uh, marine that lives in a shelter on Sunset Boulevard mm-hmm. and a former NFL player, first year out of the league, who um, feels like he was sort of a bust or whatever. And they're both going through the same, you know, identity struggle and issue, and uh, they end up saving each other from some pretty tough stuff, but. That's, that's basically what it's about. So it's all set in Hollywood. It's not like any war flashbacks or anything like that, but you learn about, you know, their stories and um, we made it for nothing, like no money in, in the middle of COVID uh, in Hollywood. Feel so safe. Was like, how did you do that? And I was like, we just did it because we're veterans. We just figured it out. Because we don't care and we'll just yeah. do it. We'll walk into literally anything. Right? Nobody got COVID. We wore masks. Oh, what? You know, unless, you were, unless you were acting on camera, everybody had a mask on the whole time and was like safe and smart. And not, and we had to get tested. We had to do three times a week of yeah. testing, you know. And like, no one got it, not one. Not one person got it. No, See, we had like up to up to 30, 35 people some days on the on the cast and crew, you know. So I don't know how you got away with that legally. I don't know how you got away with that. We were approved by the Screen Actors Guild, you know. So we were a union project. Yeah, it's because he walked up and he was like. I'm Nate Boyer. <laughs> That's not at all what Proof. happened. <laughs> it's okay if it happened, Nate. No, you just let I it hired out. somebody that knew what the hell they were doing. Is that what you do? Yeah. yeah, well, that's what we all like to think that we do. But like, I didn't know, I didn't know you had it. I didn't know you had the the whole. You were into acting before. I didn't know you had the director bug too. What made you want to do this? Uh, I just. Um, I mean, I, I've been working on this story for a while with actually a British veteran buddy. Oh wow. Um, yeah, you should talk to him sometime. Actually. I would love to. He's a pretty, he's an author as well, um, and so we've been messing with this script for the last couple of years, and I was get, we were going to make this movie for a little bit more, and then I found out that the actual shelter where these so this that that homeless shelter I was talking about it's only for Iraq and Afghanistan vets, oh, and it's wow. a real it's a real place and it really is on Sunset Boulevard, and they were closing down September thirtieth. And, uh, and I found that out in July. So I just was like, and they, I knew we could shoot there for like, they would let us shoot there. Yeah. So I was like, all right, we have to just do it. Just I don't do care it. if we don't have that much money. We're just going to make the movie. We're just going to figure it out. And we just did. And it just happened. And then somehow <laughs> so, you got like the yeah. Rambo himself to just walk on set. I feel like he I didn't even, you know what? He never set foot on set and that's all good. He put his name on it. Oh, that's ran, it. Had a huge amount of credibility. And that helped us get so many people. You know oh. I, mean? I mean, he loves the story. He loves MVP. He's come before and spoke uh, to our group, to a group of our vets at MVP. Wow. You know, so it's awesome. I mean, I, I co-founded it with uh, Jay Glazer. Mm-hmm. And so Jay uh, and Jay's in the movie as well, um, you know, playing his self. And um, it's just, I think without the organization, without what we've been able to do over the last five years, the movie wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have been the right time anyway, but mm-hmm. I think because of COVID, like our hand was forced. I know because of COVID, our hand was forced. And it was kind of a cool thing to to do in this time because it was just, it was that much more challenging, but it felt that much more like a deployment yeah. because you just had to like figure crap out. Every day, everything went wrong you could possibly imagine. Yeah. And we have to like, you know, we have to fix just, it. Just fix it and figure it out. That's an interesting yeah. thing though to watch. Um, you So now you can put producer with Sylvester Stallone on your resume. And, and you talk about me being better than you. I guess my invite for the film got lost in the mail there, Coleman. I don't know. I guess I wasn't. Uh... It was all Americans. Oh, 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 even worse. That's actually not true. But... Even worse. That's a lie. Who else did you have? Did you have a Canadian? No. Um, we had somebody from, originally from Saudi Arabia. Okay, that's an interesting um, place to pick from. And... That might be it. Okay. You got somebody from Saudi Arabia. The I mean, they're American as well. It's like dual citizenship. Oh, She's okay. an American actress. She's a very good actress. She's okay. actually on uh, Jack Ryan. She was nominated for Critics' Choice Award for Best Sporting Actress from season one of Jack Ryan. That's a fantastic, fantastic series. Absolutely yeah. fantastic series. I mean, I once again, I'm not as cool as you to know what that would have felt like, but I would have supported the people that would have been as cool as you to know what that would have felt like. Um, I, I, when is this coming out? What is this plan for this? How is this coming out? Um, I don't know when it's coming out. We're in post-production now, but I mean, I think a good goal would be probably sometime in the summer leading up to next football season because of the, you know, the football, football aspect. The story is a big piece of the story is football, but I'm not sure exactly. I think, whenever makes the most sense. I mean, we want to get it out there and 
make sure a lot of people get an opportunity to see it. So whether that's through a streaming service, I mean, movie theaters, I don't even know what the deal with that is these days. Yeah. It's just like, even before COVID, they've kind of, it's just kind of not what it was. No. So, and film festivals are very different now too, because it's all like virtual. So I, I have no idea is the answer to that. But, you know, Let us everyone know. will know when the time is right, because we'll, we'll do a big media push and we'll get it out there and, know so we can we can let everybody know i mean i don't know if it's like if i said if it's on streaming i guess canadians can watch it if we have the streaming service but if you continue to exclude the top half of north america i'm gonna get upset nate i'm feeling it's like so much land too just so few people so much land i know and we're all congregated all in these corners on the edge it's all right Next time I come down to our place in LA, I'll come to, I'll it's have like to drag you up. Arctic up there. It's not that bad. We don't even have snow. What are you talking about? It's eight degrees. It's not cold here right now at all. On You're talking it's Celsius or Fahrenheit? Celsius. Thanks, Coleman. I don't even know what that, how does that translate? What's that in Fahrenheit right now? What is that? Six. Calculating. Hold on. We're calculating for you. This is 46. 46. That's chilly. Mm-hmm. My kid goes to outdoor preschool. He's outside three hours a day. Rain, sun, snow, sleet. I don't give a shit. Get outside. It's not that cold, please. It's not that bad up here. Unless you want to go, you go up to the mountains, then you're going to get your snow. And then I guess, have you been up to Whistler to ski? Because you skied. I've not. I would love to. I just, I, when I, when you told me that you skied, I kind of giggled. Because I was like, I pictured you in a real... I pictured doing like a real tight like Seahawks thing going down the hill, and then I couldn't focus for a second. I don't it's know. Like pads? Yeah, like just weird situation happening. Football helmet. Not know. not the football helmet, but like just like just huh, huh, like just going down the hill with this whole I don't know why. Nobody skis like that, first of all. But anyway, have you been to Whistler? People ski like that. People There's all sorts of people there. Yeah. Thank you, Coleman. There's all sorts of people up in Whistler, my dear. Okay. Oh my gosh. You, you, you've been 17 years. You haven't been here. Yeah, I won't go. I don't know. <laughs> you're going to have to come up to our studio. So now you're not going to come up to our studio because you're afraid of the skiers two hours away. I feel, I feel so put out right now. I'm Canadian and he doesn't even want to talk to me anymore. So I guess we're just, I guess we're done, Nate. I don't, I don't know what else to do, my friend. I feel like I got everything out of you. I, again, you just gave and gave and gave. And I, I'm really, I'm really grateful, honestly. And, um, if there's any way we can help MVP, any way I can help MVP, I mean, I'm not Sylvester Stallone. I'm not anywhere close to the height of any of those people, but I will be gladly to give you my time and anything you guys need to help out. I appreciate that, can. Kelsey. Thank you very much. No worries. Seriously, honestly. So everyone, please let's say a goodbye to Nate Boyer. Thank you so much, Nate. Thank you, guys. So on this episode of this week's podcast, we are featuring the Pat Tillman Foundation as our resource of the week. They provide academic scholarships and professional development and a nationwide network to their veterans and uh, those that use their scholar community. Um, The Pat Tillman Foundation has been funding scholarships for years now and they do nothing but incredible work and have, I believe, over 500 plus scholars that have graduated their programs and transitioned into civilian life. Um, They are a great foundation and are supported by so many but could always be there for you if you need resources. So please do, if you are looking to educate yourself again and reintegrate into society, definitely reach out to the Pat and they can uh, hopefully help you guys out with that. And we'll see you all next week.